Hey everybody, this is your host, Phil Gonzalez. Before we get into today's episode, a couple of notes. First of all, it's episode 300, but some of you may be wondering, wait, there's far more than 300 episodes in my feed. That's because I didn't number all of them. This is the 300th official episode. I have sat behind this mic more than 300 times in the last six years. Don't think I'm slacking on that front, but it is the big 300. So if you have been a part of this show since the beginning, thank you. And if you've come in at some other point, thank you also, because I don't care when you came in. I mean, if you came in in the beginning, and you're still with it, then yes, thank you very much. It's amazing. I can't believe you've stuck with it as long as I have, but I respect and appreciate everyone who has been a part of this experience. The other note I have is on uh, a little technical issue on this episode, because it wouldn't be an anniversary episode without a technical issue. Uh, The guest on this episode's sound had some problems once it got to me, and I did as much as I could to clean it up and to edit out the parts that were completely incomprehensible, Uh, but you will notice that there are some severe sound degradation on that side of the interview. It is through no fault of the guests. It is simply a technical glitch. It's unfortunate it happened, uh, but I did my best to clean it up. I hope it doesn't take away from your enjoyment of what is honestly an amazing interview and just an incredible guest who has put together a project and a book that I was blown away by. So I hope that it's okay. I hope you can enjoy it. It's completely worth listening to, I believe. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my 300th episode. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and listeners to this podcast will know two things about me. One, that I based this show on the principle that all art, no matter how seemingly disposable, is worthy of the exploration of its origins and consideration of the many talents behind it. And two, that I do not plan ahead. Now, amazingly enough, serendipity was on my side this year, and these two factors have come together beautifully with the simultaneous publication of a book that deftly explores the origins and personalities behind the publishing juggernaut that laid the foundation of Stan and Jan's entire Berenstain Bears franchise and my 300th episode. And I must emphasize, this was entirely coincidence. In May of 2021, the book I Can Read It All By Myself, The Beginner Book's Story, was published by the University Press of Mississippi. It covers the entire history of the Beginner Book series from its inception in the mind of Phyllis Cerf through the turbulent growth and expansion of children's publishing up through today. And along the way, we learn about the personalities and lives behind books such as A Fly Went By, Go Dog Go, and A Fish Out of Water, and we get the encyclopedic listing of each and every book in the series, complete with rare photos and never-before-seen looks at early drafts and layouts of several of the classic titles. And... The man who brought this all together is here with me today. He is the author of Eleanor Cameron, Dimensions of Amazement, which explores the life of one of the unsung voices in the history of children's literature, and The Hopefuls, Chasing a Rock and Roll Dream in the Minnesota Music Scene, a shared biography of four of the prominent players in the early 21st century resurgence of the Mill City Sound. So please... 
Welcome to the show, my guest for our 300th episode, the author of I Can Read It All By Myself, Paul V. Allen. Hello, Paul. Hi. Thank you for being here with me today. I am super excited to talk about this book with you. Uh, this is amazing. So uh, why don't you just start off by telling me a little bit about uh, yourself and your your history as an, as an author and your interest in children's literature? By profession, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Just finished my 18th year, um, mostly in elementary, but a few years in the middle there and uh, in middle school. And my specialty is in reading. And that, that came out of lifelong love of reading. And when I went to college, I didn't actually go to become a teacher. I went as an English major, studied literature and creative writing and kind of hoped to be a writer one day, but didn't really know what direction that was going to take. I dabbled in fiction and stuff. So fast forward several years and um, I continued to write. I wrote for a blog for many years and um, I wrote just for my own pleasure. But I started looking into Eleanor Cameron's life because I loved one of her books as a kid. And um, at that time, I was living in, in St. Paul and discovered there's an archive there called the Curling Collection that has uh, manuscripts and letters and papers of, of different children's authors. And Eleanor Cameron was there. So it was very serendipitous, like this person I'm interested in, want to know more about all of her stuff is there, 15 boxes worth of her papers from her writing career. So I started going over there and just dabbling, not really knowing what I was going to do with it. At the same time, I was seeing there just wasn't much out there about her and that there was a void of information. So like I could fill this if I write a book about her. So that kind of what it became. <laughs> I found a publisher and you know, that that's saying I found a publisher is fast forwarding through a lot of, <laughs> right. of drama and, and struggle, but yeah, I did. So that was my first book. And then my second book was about some local musicians there in, in the Twin Cities that I got into. And again, just curiosity took hold. I wanted to know more about their story. And I knew as I was finishing work on that, before it even had a publisher or anything, that second book, that my third project, I wanted to look into beginner books. At that time, my kids, I have two sons, they were around seven and four years old. So right in that, like, read aloud time. And also, I had switched from working in middle school to working with first graders who are just learning to read. And, you know, they started to get that voracious appetite for books that they can actually read themselves. And so that combined with this childhood love I had of beginner books, that's what I wanted to learn more about. And I was just shocked when they started looking around that there was no, like, nobody had done it yet. And so you basically just took something that you were interested in, you had a bit of a foundational knowledge about, and you just went from there? Because that is shockingly similar to the origins of this show, which was, I was a parent, a couple of kids, I knew a lot about the Berenstain Bears just by osmosis, and I was amazed that nobody had ever really done something with the History of the Bears book. So yeah, it's that, it's amazing how these niche interests you think, of course, everyone's already looked into this. And then you sort of like start looking around and you're like, oh, I guess this is a really niche interest. You know, when I um, when I started to look into it, there was a lot out there about it. It's just that nobody had ever brought it all together. Yeah. I like to be the one who played that role. That's an honor. What made you decide that it was the history of beginner books that was going to sort of form the the way you the entry point into this world? Well, I think that it started with when I was a kid, I had this collection of beginner books that I inherited from my uncle. They were new when he was a kid. So he got them, you know, the first couple of editions of some of those first beginner books. So he had The Cat in the Hat Comes Back and A Fly Went By. 
I believe Go.Go is in there. So I had some of those that had been passed on to me. And then I, my grandma had signed me up for the um, Beginning Readers Club, which was through Grolier, where you got um, a book sent to you every month. So, and she signed me up when I was really young, like three years old. So I started building a collection that way. Some of those books were, were Bernstein books. So Big Honey Hunt was one of them, yeah. and Air Scouts, and Inside, Outside, Upside Down. Those three were in my original collection I had. But then when I started reading to my kids and looking for books to read with them, I pulled those out. And I, I'm a collector by, by nature, and uh, I collect, I've collected comic books for a long time. And so the numbering was something that got me. Like, if you look on the spine of a beginner book, there's numbers. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about, like, collect them all kind of mentality. So I just started picking them up whenever I went out. And so that collector mentality took over. And I felt like there was enough there that I didn't need to expand it out into like the really the only other groundbreaking, like first early readers was Harper and Rose, which was like Amelia Bedelia and Frog and Toad, some of those like Sid Hoff, Danny and the Dinosaur, those kind of books. I thought briefly about like trying to bring those in. I realized it was going to be way too big. So I just really wanted to focus in on on the beginner books. I grew up on the I can read side of this of this story. Uh, to me, it was the Sid Hoff books. It was it was Danny and the Dinosaur. It was Frog and Toad. It was Little Bear. Uh, I didn't grow up with beginner books, except just sort of like by cultural osmosis. I mean, I knew who they were. I knew I've read the books, but uh, but uh, I it did. It wasn't until I read your book that I that it started making sense, like that that division between not only beginner books and the I Can Read series, but their like their very distinct styles and illustration philosophy. Like there were two very different philosophies operating here. And that was fun to dig into that a little bit. I Can Read comes up, especially in the beginning, because they were kind of going at each other and they shared some authors and illustrators. But yeah, Ursula Nordstrom was the editor of uh, I Can Read and she was uh, much more lax, I think, about the vocabulary limitations and she was thinking much more story first they were i feel like the illustrations and i can read were much more traditional like sort of let's just pick a scene and draw it mm-hmm. whereas um in our books it was much more like this is going to carry the story for us. The pictures carry the story so that i can actually read the whole book and understand it without even actually ever looking at the words yeah i was amazed so a lot of what you talk about in in I Can Read It All By Myself is you you cover the origins of beginner books a lot. And the the even though Ted Geisel, of course, plays an enormous part in this story, uh, sort of the 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 person who you don't who doesn't get a lot of the press, but really was the driving force behind it in the beginning was was Phyllis Cerf. Uh, tell us a little bit about her, because she's an amazing person. Yeah, well, so she was Ginger Rogers' cousin. But yeah, she um, was, through Ginger Rogers, introduced to Bennett Cerf, who was the co-founder, publisher of Random House. And they had, there was a bit of an age difference, but they hit it off and um, ended up getting married. She didn't have an official role at, at, at Random House, but she served as sort of a, an author liaison and also read manuscripts and, and really trusted her perspective on things. When she saw The Cat in the Hat, Lightning Bolt hit her that, you know, there should be a whole series of these, make it into a system and uh, turn it into a whole line of books. And then she went and used her charms to get uh, Ted Geisel on board. For better or for worse. I mean, obviously yeah. <laughs> we needed Ted Geisel as part of this 
equation to get beginner books off the ground, but uh, you make it very clear that their a their personalities did not mesh well, and he she was essentially driven out of beginner books. She and he did not get along well. Um, didn't see eye to eye on a lot of topics, and I think they just were both very strong personalities who didn't want to bend to anybody else, and they weren't used to having to do that. So it was just sort of immovable object meets, you know, uh, irresistible force. And, and of course, um, Ed Geisel is going to win because he's the one of the star authors at, at Random House and they don't want to lose him. So they're going to do what they can to lose him. But, it, you know, as I say in the book, they, they together, that friction created some really great books. So, like, you know, one could argue that some of the, the best books they ever produced were when they, those two were together. And, and battling it out. So, you know, it was very hard on both of them, like lots of arguments. The results were were good. Uh, it got bad enough that that Geisel gave an ultimatum. And after she leaves, you can kind of see she was really the one fighting for the for the more stringent vocabulary limits and the, the a little more of an educational focus, whereas uh, Ed Geisel really relaxed those when he um, was fully in charge. And and it gave up on some of the more like nonfiction ones that, that you see in the early in the line. But even though he relaxed, he wasn't as on board with the with the strict like requirements of the vocabulary. But he was very strict as to what he thought comprised a good beginner book. Uh, to the extent that he rewrote substantial portions of a lot of the books and he was such a uh, a harsh taskmaster as an editor that a lot of authors and illustrators sort of gave up trying to be beginner book authors because it was because I think you said something like the amount of effort it took to produce one beginner book on an author or illustrator's part they could they could write three or four books for another publisher monetarily it was really lucrative for the beginner book authors because of that deal with Grolier got them you know really good royalties and and Ted and Phyllis, to their credit, and Ted's with Helen, too, who is also a part of this mm-hmm. team that led beginner books, um, they fought really hard to make sure that artists got royalties, which wasn't always, usually you got a flat fee and, and that was it. But the sales were so good and the, and the book club was so good that, you know, for some authors it was worth it. But for others, the, the constant back and forth and the, um, the bickering with Ted was not worth it. He wasn't. He wasn't necessarily a tactful person with expressing his opinion, and and yeah, like you said, he he was just he had a very distinct idea of what it should be, and he didn't like anything that deviated from that. Stan and Jan were two that they took a lot of that brunt from him, but they were you know also very resilient because they just they didn't ever give up. They just kept trying, and sometimes they fought back and and won, and sometimes they fought back and lost, and they stuck with them pretty much longer than anybody else did. Yeah, you said uh, that, the, that the the Berenstains produced the not they said the second largest amount of books in the beginner book series after Ted Geisel, of course. Yeah, he you know he did the most because along with writing and drawing the ones under the Dr. Seuss name, he also wrote them under Theo the Sea name, and and then in the seventies, you know, the seventies especially. He had driven so many authors away that he was doing basically all of them himself. Maybe not so much just that he drove them away, but he didn't make an effort to go seek out new authors either. You know, it was a, a bit of a combination of that and wanting control so much that he just, well, I'll just do it myself. So he, he did a lot. But yeah, uh, other than him, they, they have the most 20 books that they did, if you include beginner books and bright and early books. 
and you know that's more than than anybody else did besides him. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to me because Stan and Jan, I think, I mean, just looking at their history, they they also had the benefit of working together and sort of having each having each this long artistic collaborative history with each other. So I can imagine that when it came to dealing with Ted Geisel, at least it was you know, two on their side to match the the power of of this editor who is so strong. But as as you as you point out, eventually they were like, you know what? We've got kids. We know how to write children's books with actual like parental experience. And they went off eventually to to create uh, the first time books, which became a powerhouse in their own right. Yeah, and I think I think that they were just. You know, they were such hardworking people and and uh, that helped them and having each other helped them endure some of those those times. But, you know, in, in the in the long run, they they were out as well. But, you know, they had enough because they didn't need they didn't need it anymore. So you know, they they kept doing them into um, into the 70s. And I believe there's a few in the early 80s. Even I think I think even though they fought with them, they still really liked them and respected them. And so. That relationship stayed with beginner books a little, a little longer than it even needed to. Yeah, one of the things, uh, one thing that I just that I have always championed on this show, and that your book does a great job of of never losing sight of, is the fact that this is a world of of real people, uh, real artists with lives and histories and uh, and personalities that clashed and complemented each other. But that we can't forget that each and every single book in this series was was written and illustrated and produced by uh, real artists, real human beings who cared about what they were doing. Um, and I was amazed at the level of biography you were able to put in here and the level of anecdote you were able to discover. Did you, did you go to a lot of primary sources? Did you do a lot of interviews or was a lot of this research-based? How did that sort of like come about? First I'll say, I really like, like what you said in your intro about, you know, all, all manners of art being worth, you know, examination. And that's kind of how I approached this, because even with some beginner, some of the beginner books, I'm like, well, maybe I won't look into that one. But in the end, I was just like, you know, what? I'm going to look into every single one because you never know what you could find. You never know which one might be somebody's favorite. In terms of sources, I, um, I start with basically what's out there available, pretty much, you know, you know, Internet uh, searches, uh, as long as they're sourced from somewhere, not, you know, just somebody wrote it up. But um uh, and then I and then I kind of dig deeper. I go like into new newspaper archives and see what I can find. A lot of times there's you know good local papers that got quotes and information that you can't find anywhere else. So then I go to the library, you know, kind of dig a little deeper and look at you know the ones you have to log in to find. <laughs> and then I I go even deeper. Sometimes with this one there weren't a whole lot of archives, but I did find uh, the Random House archives at Columbia University and was able to to access all the beginner book files there and found quite a bit. And, and then the last step is interviews. And I did quite a few interviews for this, as many as I could with a lot of the older original beginner book authors and illustrators. I had to talk to their children. And so I kind of combine all of that together. And, and I really find it's valuable because just doing interviews, people misremember. I also uh, then can kind of co- take the interviews and, and compare it to what I've found in other places. So like, for example, um, when I was talking to Mike Berenstain, when I, when I interviewed him, he said that 
things got bad enough with Ted that they had to, Stan and Jen had to go to La Jolla to talk to um, him in person and work out whatever issue they were working on. He couldn't remember what book it was. But once I went to the Random House archives and I found actually found a letter that was from one of the uh, assistants of the book saying, Stan and Jan are, are on their way, you know, so, and it gave me the date and then we were able to pin down, oh, okay, so since it was this date, it must have been the Bears picnic that they were working on. So that's really, you know, synthesizing, like I said earlier, synthesizing all the information that's out there. And then it's really exciting to be able to add new information too. Now the Bar- I know th- I know that the Berenstains archives uh, are deep and incredible. Uh, that they have uh, just there's every single sketch and every single uh, a piece of paper that ever went into creating one of the books is pretty much is pretty much in existence. And uh, and were you able to? And I also noticed that some of the, a lot of the examples you give in the book uh, of you know like here's some rough sketches. Here's some of the original ideas. Come from Berenstain books, um, particularly the the original B book illustrations uh, mm-hmm. before they had settled on what exactly B was going to stand for. Well, so that that was partly out of necessity and and also out of Mike Berenstain's generosity. Uh, when I when it came to get images for um, for the book, I when I originally was writing, I had these great visions of. Um, there's a book called Golden Legacy by Leonard Marcus, who's a children's uh, literature historian, and it's about Golden Books. And, and it was published by Random House, who own Golden Books now. And it's just like really lavishly illustrated all throughout. And this is kind of what I was, you know, that would have been my pie in the sky of like just all these illustrations everywhere, all over the book, um, almost like another book. But when it came down to actually getting permissions, uh, Random House and, and Dr. Seuss Enterprises weren't on board. So, uh, and they didn't give a reason. They didn't, they just said, but we're not, we are not, we're not able to give permission. So I wasn't able to use anything actually from, from that was actually published in the book, which is kind of crazy, but. Yeah. With, with Stan and Jan, we do have the benefit of, they actually published an autobiography. Yeah. Uh, there's actually been like collections of theirs put out into the world that sort of detail their history. Um, because they were so popular. Uh, but what do you think is the reason that the Berenstain Bears became a franchise and other authors' creations for beginner books you know, were kind of one-and-done products? Was it simply that there wasn't an interest in franchising, or was it just the fact that coincidentally the Bears just kept having books produced because of demand, and then it just sort of blossomed into that? Yeah, I mean, there's that. That whole part of their beginner book story, Stan and Jan's beginner book story, is is their um, their bear book was going to be Freddie Bear spanking. They kind of had these proto versions of of who would become the Berenstain Bears, and and they finally through all this work got that into the Big Honey Hunt, um, and then their next book was all set to be. Uh, something completely different and then they were working on that they had it already and then ted geisel comes to them well so initially he'd said don't do a series don't do another bears book that's you know that's going to be a millstone around your neck and then he comes back and says wait they're really popular that one you did so do more and then the fact that they were coined into the berenstain bears you know they had like a catchy title and then I, I think there was at least one or two more times where they were about to do something different and they said no do another bears book and it just kept happening so, you know, I, I think that was part of it, uh, just that they were, that was really the only one with continuing characters 
in in all of beginner books except for Lepshire's um, Put Me in the Zoo. He brought back those characters, but much, much later beyond when it, when it could have actually become a sort of franchise thing. And they're trying to do it now, I guess, a little bit. There's a Go Dog Go cartoon. I've only seen like a little bit of it. But, you know, you're kind of taking something that didn't have defined characters. That, that was more of like a, just a, a romp kind of book. Um, whereas the Berenstain Bears, you had a pretty defined personality for at least Papa and Mama uh, that, that you can you know, expand into to more. Yeah, and it probably had also a lot to do with the fact that you had two creators who were very shrewd about their own owning their characters and who were looking to expand their brand uh, as creators and as, you know, Stan and Jan always had their eye on the next big thing on on taking careful taking care of their product uh, and making sure it was always present on bookshelves uh just talking with mike i mean i learned so much about how cutthroat children's publishing is and how yeah. you have to stay ahead of that all the time well yeah and even how they even in their pre children's book career you know just how hard they worked to get their their stuff out there and but I loved learning more about their cartooning work and, and you know, the stuff they did for um, McCall's and the sister comic strip they did and, you know, the books they published of collections. They were working so hard to get themselves out there and, and to get paying, paying work. Um, it's just, to, to me, it's just like an extension of that. Like, let's just keep it going. So when you put this book together, when you as you were writing this, as you were assembling it, as you were getting all the interviews and shaping it into what it is, who were you hoping would be the audience for this? Who did you think I am writing? Besides, I have to be honest, besides me specifically, <laughs> besides thinking like maybe there's a 44-year-old guy in Twin Cities who really needs this book to exist. Uh, who's the general audience for this book? Well, you know, so it, it is, it's with an academic publisher, but uh, I try not to think about it too much when I'm writing just because it, I feel like that would freeze me up and make me stop. This one has a lot of different uh, ways in for people, you know, those, those who just like the history of, of children's literature. I think from a teaching perspective, if you're really interested in the teaching and reading, you know, I go into some of the history of how that's been done um, through the years. Um, but mostly I was thinking of, of people who had some affection for beginner books in some way or another, read them as kids or read them to their own kids or both and, and, and wanted to know more. And, and for people who aren't, you know, who don't realize this isn't just a history of beginner books, like uh, story-wise, a, the, a huge portion of this book is, and like just a run, a, you go book by book uh, in chronological order. And some of the books have a little more information than others, but you do give a good history of each title in the beginner books series. Like if you, if you were ever just like, I wonder what the story behind Tubby and the Lantern is, <laughs> you're going to get a history more or less of Tubby and the Lantern. Also, you do some incredibly intimate profiles of the authors themselves. Like, I didn't know much about P.D. Eastman. He was just a name that just kind of flitted in and out of my, in and out of my, like, my memory. But, uh, boy, do you learn a lot about P.D. Eastman. It's just, it's, if you want to know it, it's there. Yeah, it, I mean, and that, uh, a lot of that came from, well, you know, I, I went through and, and I made a Excel spreadsheet of all, you know, by decade of every book and who did them. And then I was able to rearrange and see like who did the most. So that kind of helped me decide 
who would get bigger spotlights compared to the smaller spotlight. So P.D. Eastman was definitely one because he did a ton of them, and Roy McKee and Al Perkins and Bernstein's. Um, but yeah, I, I part of it part of it came from you know just wanting to be thorough. But also, once I got in touch with family members, um, that that really changes the way you tell a story about somebody or how much you want to tell it, how much you're able to tell. Just because you start to feel an obligation to that person um, and the family to, to to get it right, and in a lot of cases, like the, these stories haven't been told, like the families have just been holding on to them, and so you know that was really cool to be able to to help those families tell their stories. Yeah, and uh, and and of course, with any history, there's there's tragedy involved. There's a lot of uh, humor involved. Um, uh, you're going to learn how these books are connected with the history of the Walt Disney Company. How like illustrators, like the 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 employees of Walt Disney, kind of like left and fed into the children's book uh, publishing world. Um, one thing I I did a uh, I did a one man show for a while about the history of the Berenstain Bears books and. Uh, one thing that I always tried to to emphasize was that in the beginning, at the time that these were created, the, what we think of as the children's publishing industry didn't really exist. It was, and a lot of the people feeding into it weren't necessarily children's book writers and illustrators. They were comedy writers and uh, and uh, magazine writers and illustrators, people who had worked on, you know, for Madison Avenue and people who had been illustrating, uh, even like Dr. Seuss, like it was known for advertisements and how that created this this sort of philosophy and idea and sense of humor that that was the beginning of what we think of as the modern children's publishing industry and uh you know that, that pulled us away from from dick and jane and you know the water babies and all of that into this sort of very wry very knowing very almost adult oriented uh not speaking down to children way of writing that just carried on into into what we think of as like sesame street and the muppets and and uh, Saturday morning television into what we have today. And it's just amazing that continuity and how it just keeps going. Yeah, uh, Kate, Kate Klimo, who's a, was an editor at Random House, kind of in the later, well, 90s, 80s, 90s. Um, she had a great quote in there that when I interviewed her, that I put in the book that was, you know, beginner books were done by admin to sell reading kids. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of a, a cynical way to put it, but it was, it was, it, at its heart, it's true that all, a lot of these guys came from, um, from, yeah, an advertising background. Um, uh, and they, yeah, they, they wanted to bring something new beyond the sort of, uh, I, the, you know, kind of, you think of the Caldecott winners and the Newberry winners being kind of books that kids were not super interested in reading. They were picked by adults, librarians, uh, who were thinking about this, is, this is what kids should be reading about. And uh, that was the big innovation, I think, of, I can read and I can read it by, all by I can read it all by myself, um, you know, um, that, that they were like, you know, let, let's bring it to the kid level and let's not worry about, you know, these librarians and let's worry about like actually what, what kids want to read about. You want to do things that are funny and have a lot of action and and uh, and you know big colorful pictures that look like cartoons and so that that was one of the huge innovations of of books. Well, from a uh, from a prescriptional standpoint, uh, as far as like what what a book what a what a, what a reader's ability is uh, to get through a book to to be pulled along through a book, I will say that 
I did read I Can Read It All By Myself All By Myself. I read it in uh, just a couple of sittings. This is a, a it's, it's not a short book, but it is a very compelling book. And uh, I've been telling as many of my friends who are interested in this uh, subject about it. Um, I think it's, I think you have written a, an, an invaluable piece of, of not only history, but uh, just, just uh, interest like this is something that we don't think like a lot of people don't think about but that i believe in order to really understand what you're reading to your kids this is the kind of thing that i think people uh should read and should take an interest in i mean clearly if they're listening to this podcast they are at least somewhat interested in the history of children's literature uh so i just i have nothing but compliments for you and i highly recommend uh i can read it all by myself so much yeah it was it was a pleasure to write for the most part you know running into the rights issues and stuff like that that wasn't super fun but (laughs) the families and talk to their beginner book authors themselves um you know being able to like interview michael frith for example who worked with with that in the in the 60s and early 70s he he went on to work on muppets uh were huge in my childhood uh, fraggle rock and muppet show and and all that to, to be able to like be on the phone and chat with him and exchange emails with him back and forth. And, uh, you know, just like kind of things that you don't, <laughs> you don't expect that journey is going to take you to a place like that. So that was just really, you know, just really fun. And I, and I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, you know, I found, you know, if, if I can find a few, uh, receptive readers like yourself, I feel like my job is done and I feel like it's the, it's, it's book, it's there forever, <laughs> you know, um, in some form or another, that that this information is is available if people want it, and that that makes me really happy. That that's my, I would say probably my primary goal. You know, that kind of hits home with. I felt like I, I was able to interview Joan Joan Heilbroner, who did a couple of beginner books. Um, she was ninety six when I talked to her, um, and and I got some great info from her. And then went to write out and communicate to her son because she didn't really do email, and he wrote back this last time and said she passed away peacefully in her sleep a few months ago so you know just be able to have like captured her story before she passed away um that that to me like that's what it's about yeah i was once asked uh not more than once actually by mike himself uh he sat i was sitting with him at his studio and he looked me in the eye and he said just can i ask you a question and i said yeah and he goes why are you doing this what these these books aren't supposed to be interesting to adults they are supposed to be something you read when you're eight years old and then tossed aside and never thought about again and i was like people are interested in this this is this is history this is this is something that is it that knowing the origins of this and knowing the the stories behind it is is more important than 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 you think and uh the whole point of my show is to say these things are worth talking about and these histories and stories are worth remembering uh i sometimes i'm over six years, I've sometimes lost sight of that. But I'm glad that Eleanor wrote to me and said, this guy, Paul Allen, has written a book about the history of beginner books. We think it's something you're interested in. And I was like, you're darn right I'm interested in it. And she was like, would you like Paul's email address? I think he'd be interested in talking to you. And what's funny is I'm like, 
oh, no, no author is going to want to talk to just some podcaster. And I, one thing I keep forgetting about is that people love talking about their work. Mike <laughs> loves talking about the Berenstain Bears. And we all like talking about what we're interested in and what our histories are. So I'm glad you were there to talk to these people and put it into a book for all of us to enjoy. Yeah. It, the funny thing about, you know, becoming an author, it doesn't, doesn't feel like... You don't feel any different. <laughs> so, so any, yeah, like you said, any, any chance to 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 talk about the work and to talk to people, especially who appreciate it, um, that's that's like the, one of the rewards for actually having uh, the work. Well, the name of the book again is "I Can Read It All by Myself: The Beginner Book Story" by Paul V. Allen. It is available in hardback, paperback, and digital format, so it's out there if you want it. I again, it gets the Deep in Bear Country stamp of approval. Uh, pick up a copy, read it, uh, enjoy it, put it on your shelf. It's a great reference work. Uh, if you, you don't even have to read it all in one sitting, uh, you can go back to it and just pick out the books that you want to research and look at. Keep your phone next to you because you're going to be hitting Wikipedia a few times times to learn more about these people uh, that Paul talks about. But Paul, thank you so much for being on my show this week. Thank you for having me. And uh, for everyone, uh, and where and where can uh, our readers find you if they're interested in learning more about your work? I have a website, which is just my name. So it's um, www.paulv, V as in Vincent, that's my middle name, allen.com. And I've got information on my, my books and I put a um, I put a uh, bi-monthly newsletter on there that keep, keeps you up to date on whatever I'm working on and doing. Great. So, yeah, so check out paulvallen.com uh, to learn more about his work. And if you are interested in following me, uh, hopefully you already are, but I am at bstainbearcast on Twitter. You can find me at berenstainbearcast.org. If you want to write me, write me at berenstainbearcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you for joining us for the 300th episode. Uh, we've been at this six years, and it's been wild. I'll be back next week with more Berenstain Bears goodness, and I will see you all next time deep in bear country. No. <laughs>